study this morning for our lesson. And as you're turning over there, let me tell you about something that you've probably already seen in the foyer area. There's a couple of Christmas trees set up with a table back there. Uh, Our church is going to host the Christmas party for the Highway 80 uh, rescue mission, and that will be for the women and children's side. That party will be on December 14th. We're going to provide gifts for the children and for the moms. And so we're going to provide all of that and host the party. And we're asking, we're giving you an opportunity to contribute to be a part of this. So as you look on the table out there, I just want to point that, point you in that direction following church before you go to class this morning. Uh, to, to look at that, to consider it, you can contribute for a gift for a mom or for a child. There's more instructions out there. So uh, what an opportunity we have. I can tell this church is very giving and very loving and wants to find opportunities to help and to serve, and this is one of those opportunities. So don't forget to do that before you leave because whatever gift or contribution you're giving is due by next Sunday. So we have a short window to get that done. So remember the Christmas party. Remember to take a look at that uh, following our services this morning. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 uh, this, this month of December, Luke chapters 1 and 2, but Luke 1 for today. Uh, if you've ever been in an argument or a heated discussion with someone, and maybe you're speaking your piece, saying a lot of words, and the person that you're discussing with or having a heated conversation with is silent, has that ever happened to you? And so you try to fill in the silence with more words, and you're wondering... If they're ever going to speak, if I'm ever in that situation, my response is normally, say something. I don't know what you're thinking if you're not speaking. Silence can be a tactic uh, when you're debating with someone. You kind of hold the upper hand if you are slow to speak. Sometimes we use silence as a punishment. Have you ever given someone the silent treatment? You're mad at them, so instead of arguing back with them, you're going to fold your arms and you're just not going to speak until they pry it out of you, right? Or enough time goes by where you've punished them. So we use silence as a punishment, but silence could also be a reward. Do we have any teachers in the audience this morning or parents? You know, you're around kids all day and there's a lot of noise. And so to get in a car or to get in a room where it's silent, it's a sigh of relief. You feel like you're being rewarded for that. Silence can also be a celebration. There's been many nights where Jessica and myself have sat in the hallway listening to our toddler scream, and then slowly when that noise stops and becomes silent, we celebrate because that means he's asleep. You know, we can finally relax like he's gone to sleep. So silence can be celebration, it can be reward, it can be punishment. It can also be annoying. Have you ever been on the phone with someone, and you say your part, and then you wait for a response, and there is no response, and then you look at your phone, and you realize... Somewhere along the way, the phone dropped the call. Has that ever happened to you? So it's silence on the other end annoys you because they're not even there anymore. Uh, we have silence uh, before football games or before high school events or sporting events. We have a moment of silence. But have you ever noticed that it's not a minute of silence? It's a moment of silence because we can't stand to sit in silence with a big group of people for longer than a few seconds. So we just call it a moment of silence. You know, silence can also be a distraction. I see it every Sunday. Uh, when you're daydreaming and you're off somewhere else, not with us here, and then preachers do this thing where we 
pause dramatically. And when we pause, your, your daydream is interrupted, and you're thinking, wait a minute, what's going on? Why is it so quiet? You know, and I can't even hold that pause for longer than five or ten seconds because it's weird for me. But silence can be a distraction. You think, wait, why is it so quiet? Isn't there something supposed to be going on and there's supposed to be noise? A few months ago, I talked about the noise God and how important the discipline, the spiritual discipline of silence is. Silence can also be wisdom. I worked with a minister for several years who would always come back to this phrase. He would tell me, Silence cannot be misquoted. So when he would watch me get emotional and get very passionate and really speak my mind in a meeting, he would remind me, silence cannot be misquoted. It's okay to stop and let other people talk and to think before you say your part, because silence cannot be misquoted. Where we find ourselves this morning in Luke chapter 1 is apparently, historically, this is believed to have been a period of silence for the Israelites. 400 years of silence since they've had any significant prophet come along and speak on behalf of the Lord. A period of silence where they have awaited a Messiah to come. And there have been different men who have led a large group of people, claimed to be somebody, and then wound up being nothing. And they've had a lot of false messiahs, false prophets even. No significant turning points And for 400 years, they considered that a time of silence from God. And where we pick up on our scripture this morning is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. We're going to get the story, the background of the birth of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus. Let's begin in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. I'll read 5 through 7. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah, His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. So these three verses tell us a lot. First of all, Zechariah is a priest, and he comes from a family of priests. Zechariah would have been one of thousands of priests. He lived out in the country somewhere. The only priest who lived in Jerusalem were the chief priests. So Zechariah would occasionally come and serve in the temple in Jerusalem. And he's with his wife Elizabeth. And we're told in verse 6 that they were righteous. That they lived these blameless lives, blamelessly keeping the law of the Lord. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but they were incredibly faithful. But Luke also tells us in verse 7 that they had no children and they were getting old. And he puts those two verses side by side on purpose because what Luke is trying to communicate to the reader is that they are living blameless lives while not receiving the blessing from God. Because in that culture, to be childless meant that people would talk about you. You, They lived a very public life because he was a priest, but they carried with them this shame of not being able to have children. And people would have whispered, okay, he's a priest, but why has God not blessed them with children? And they knew this, but yet they remained faithful despite what others said about them, what others thought about them. He continued on serving as a priest, and they remained faithful. They didn't feel sorry for themselves. In verse 8, when he was serving as a priest before God, 
and his section was on duty. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to offer incense. Now at that time of incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. So Zechariah, being one of thousands of priests, would travel to Jerusalem twice a year for one week at a time to serve his role. And each time they would cast lots. And the lot would fall on some lucky priest who would get this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go inside the sanctuary, inside the Holy of Holies, to burn the incense. They probably had a, a chain where they'd swing the incense and to offer prayers for the redemption of Israel, to offer prayers, longing, hoping for the Messiah to come. It was a privilege. Not every priest had the opportunity to do that. So when Zechariah's name is called... That was special. And he knew that he was never going to get an opportunity to do this again because once your name is picked, your name is taken out of the lottery, out of the drawing, and you're never going back in there. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And while Zechariah goes into the Holy of Holies, into the sanctuary, the people are outside praying and waiting for the priest to come back out. So here goes Zechariah. This older priest, probably not thinking that anything special is going to happen other than the honor of what he gets to do. And he goes in and he finds a surprise. And to the right of the altar is an angel. Every time someone, a human being, sees an angel, their first response is what? Fear. When Mary sees an angel, she's responds with fear. When the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, when they see an angel, they respond with fear. So the angel responds to their fear by saying, don't be afraid. Okay? And if you think you've ever seen an angel and you didn't have fear, then maybe you didn't see an angel because they always have a feeling of fear when they see an angel. Let's look at what the angel says to Zechariah in the Holy of Holies here. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, And you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Sounds like the Nazarite vow from the Old Testament. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're paying attention to Luke or the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is key. And John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. We see that God's hand is with him. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this angel is telling Zechariah, you're going to have a child, and this is what your child will do. Turn people's hearts back towards God. Prepare people for what? Preparing them to receive Jesus, who we also read about. In Luke chapter 1. But we don't get the name of Jesus until verse 30. So it's almost like Luke is preparing the reader to receive Jesus. Preparing our hearts and our minds. So he doesn't even mention Jesus until verse 30. And that's the role of John. To make people's hearts and minds ready to receive the Messiah. What amazing news. Zachariah is probably thinking we're just going through the routine here. This is what we normally do. What a special opportunity for me to go inside the sanctuary. 
But what happened inside the sanctuary was shocking to him. He's older. So he says to the angel, in verse 18, How will I know that this is so? I'm an old man. My wife is getting on in years. What he's asking for is probably some sort of sign. Like, what's proof that this is going to happen? And then Gabriel, the angel, is basically like, I'm an angel, that should be enough of a sign. But instead he responds in verse 19, he says, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. And then in verse 20 he says, But now, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Have you ever lost your voice? You know, we usually, we probably don't appreciate our voice, our ability to speak until it's gone. Uh, this summer when I started here at Pine Tree, we started on a Sunday morning, and then the very next day I had already was scheduled to speak at a church camp in South Texas. So my second day on the job, I had to travel to go preach, and I spent the night at that camp. So while I was there, I played the games, and I did all the stuff that you do at church camps, and I yelled a lot, and I lost my voice. So I came back here, and you probably don't even remember this, but that first Wednesday night while I was here, I couldn't really interact with anyone because I didn't have the ability to speak. I had to really dig deep to try and speak, and that was okay, but then when Friday and Saturday rolled along and I still couldn't speak, I was starting to get worried. You know, if you're a preacher, you rely on your voice to be able to preach. If you don't have a voice, then you can't do that. Uh, This is allergy season, so maybe some of you have lost your voice This time of year, a few weeks ago, my wife Jessica lost her voice. She woke up one morning and couldn't speak. She could get some words out, but it didn't sound like her. So I went on up here to the office, and she told me later that Addie, our daughter, was so confused at why her mom sounded like this, took her phone and secretly went in the room and called her grandma and asked grandma to come pick her up because mom is being really grouchy, is what she said. (laughs) She wasn't being grouchy, she just sounded weird. You know, it's difficult when you can't talk. And it's not that Zachariah's voice is going to be hoarse. He's not able to speak. He gets this great news while he's in there, and he can't tell anybody about it because he can't speak. And certainly it seems like it's a punishment, right? You know, how can I know this will be true? He's asking for some sort of sign. So there's an element of this is kind of a punishment, but it also seems like, This is another way that God can work on Zechariah's heart. Nine months of silence. Remember, they've experienced 400 years of silence from hearing from God. And now Zechariah is going to experience nine months of silence on his own. And he's not going to be able to speak. But he has to come back out. So while he's inside the Holy of Holies and this is taking place, we're told that the people were outside and they're wondering what's taking so long. Normally the priest comes out by now. What is he doing in there? In verse 22, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them, but remained unable to speak. So here's hundreds of people who've been outside praying and waiting for you to come out. And you can't say any words, so he improvises. Some sort of sign language. It's almost like he's playing charades. So somehow, without being able to speak, I don't know what the sign for I've seen an angel is, 
But they figured it out. He's seen some sort of vision. But keep in mind, week after week, year after year, the people that gather to pray at the temple, and nothing significant ever really happens. And then all of a sudden, on this day, with this older priest named Zechariah, who they probably don't even really know who he is, takes a long time being in there and then comes out, and they realize something happened. This is different. You can imagine the buzz in the crowd. Could this be? Is the period of silence over? Did God speak to this man while he was in the Holy of Holies? Could it have something to do with the Messiah? I imagine there was a buzz, maybe a buzz for a little while in the audience, but then everybody goes back home. And nine months go by, and you know, nothing's happened, so maybe they've moved on to something else, and we're told that they do go back home. When his time of service had ended, there in verse 23, his wife becomes pregnant in verse 24. She stays in seclusion for five months, probably because the situation was so unique. She wanted to make sure she was showing before she told anyone that she was pregnant. She remains in seclusion for five months. And then in verse 25, Elizabeth says, This is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably on me, and took away the disgrace I've endured among the people. Okay, in the rest of chapter 1, you see there's Mary. And we'll read about that next week. And, and Neil read that this morning in Communion Thoughts. And the angel visits Mary. And Mary and Elizabeth are relatives. Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. And then later on in chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 57. The time comes for John to be born. So he's born. On the eighth day, they're going to circumcise him, and they're going to name him. So Elizabeth says, his name is John. Remember, Zechariah can't talk, so he can't say what the name is. But everybody else who is there to celebrate says, John, that's not a family name. So what they're probably thinking is that Elizabeth is taking advantage of the fact that her husband can't talk. I'm going to name him John. He can't say anything, so we're getting rid of this whole Zachariah stuff, and we're moving on to something else. Jessica tells, my wife tells a story about um, her grandma. Uh, when she gave birth to her first son, which was Jessica's dad, uh, they had this name picked out, Kevin. And she was unconscious for the birth. And when she woke up, she was excited to see Kevin, and she said, bring Kevin to me. And they said, who's Kevin. And while she was knocked out, Jessica's granddad changed the name to James and wrote it on the birth certificate, and it was final. (laughs) So sometimes that happens. You know, you take advantage of your spouse's inability to speak, and that's probably what they're thinking is happening here. Okay, Zachariah can't talk, so she's trying to change the name to John, so they look at John, and he gets this writing tablet. You know, I don't know if it's some sort of makeshift chalkboard, what it would have been 2,000 years ago, but he writes, his name is John. To everyone's amazement, Zechariah agrees. We're going to name him John, a different name. But, but the name is John because that's what Gabriel told Zechariah to name him. And then in verse 64, it says, Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. At nine months of silence, and now his voice is back. He can speak. And his first response is to just praise God. His voice is back, and 
you think what's happening here on a smaller scale is kind of symbolism for what's taking place on a larger scale. See, the Israelites have experienced 400 years of silence, or at least perceived silence from God, and now God is beginning to break that silence, just like Zechariah's silence is broken. You know, earlier this week as I was studying for this lesson, I came across this clip. I'm not going to show you the clip, but it's from the movie Apollo 13. This is actually, I think, an actual clip from the real-life situation, not from the movie. But if you've ever seen the movie Apollo 13, you know they're off in space, and they're having many problems, and it's time to re-enter the earth. And I don't know a whole lot about this, but I've studied it just a little bit, and apparently there is a few minutes when they re-enter earth, a period of blackout, of silence, radio silence, where the communication is off, and, and they're coming back to earth, and so there's this couple minutes where everybody's a little tense, where they don't know if these astronauts are going to survive re-entering earth, And you can see in the movie clip, they're showing everybody in Houston, you know, grabbing their hair and grabbing their legs and really tense. And they're showing the astronauts' wives. And one wife reached over and grabbed her son really tight. You know, they're nervous because there's silence. And it's just a period we just don't know. And then the time for the blackout came to end. And they counted down. And you're expected to see them somewhere in the sky. And there's nothing. 30 seconds go by. A minute goes by. There's no word, there's no radio communication, there's no parachutes dropping down. So at that point, people are starting to think, did they die somewhere along the way? Are they not going to make it? And then after um, maybe a minute and a half or two minutes, finally they reappear and everybody celebrates. And it's this neat little movie scene, and apparently it happened in real life as well. But as I was watching that, I was thinking about Zechariah, I was thinking about the Israelites And what they had experienced all those years, they considered it a blackout period. A period of silence. Where they were waiting. And then one day, this older man named Zechariah goes in the temple and comes back out and something is different. It seems like all the years of silence, God is breaking that silence. And something's happening. And that's what happens with Zechariah. The silence for nine months is broken. And his response, he praises God. And he writes this song. I call this lesson Zechariah's song. This was part of our scripture reading this morning. I want to read, starting in verse 67, these words that Zechariah writes down. We call it the Benedictus because the first two words are praise be. So it's this Latin word, Benedictus. Verse 67, then his father Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. That's a hint towards Jesus. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown us the mercy promised to our ancestors, and he has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, might, that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. So the first part of this song is he is saying, God, remember The silence is broken, God spoke, God remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, and now he's acting. 
And then he switches gears in the song, and now he's going to talk about his son, John, who's just born. And he says this about John in this song. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to the people by the forgiveness of their sins. This was John's role, prepare the way for Jesus because forgiveness of sins is coming. Salvation is coming. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So John sings about this light that is coming. A light that is going to break forth, that's going to shine, and with it is salvation forgiveness of sins, redemption, what they had been praying for for centuries. It's right upon us like the sun rising and the light shining. On those who have lived in darkness and in the shadow of death, God is acting. So what do we learn from this part of the story from Zechariah and Elizabeth? What do we learn from how people respond when there's a period of silence? Because I know a lot of you probably either feel like that right now or you have felt like you were in a period of silence before. A time of pain, a trial. Maybe you feel distant from God. You don't know what's going on. Maybe your, your faith is being deconstructed. You know, I don't know what exactly it could be for you. But how do you respond during a t- period of silence? What we learn from these characters in Luke chapter 1 is to be faithful even in the silence. And God will give you a new song in due time. That's what Zechariah learns. The Israelites were faithful for 400 years during a period of silence. Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful their whole lives. Even though she was childless and didn't know if she would ever receive that blessing, it didn't matter. They remained faithful. Zechariah was faithful even when he couldn't speak for nine months. If that was me, I would be discouraged thinking, will I ever have the chance to speak again? But he remained faithful during that time. And they were faithful when they had the child, and they were faithful even after John was born. And the first thing that he does is praise God. So there's something to be said about remaining faithful no matter what's going on. And we see that, and that's why I believe God chose Zechariah and Elizabeth to usher in John, but to start breaking the silence to make the path straight for Jesus to come. And Zechariah prophesies about this. He sings about this, that we're going to receive salvation and forgiveness of sins through Jesus. That offer still stands today. We live during a time of the spoken, where God has spoken. We live after Jesus. We live during a time where we're promised we receive the Spirit of Jesus. And it may not always feel that way, but we are told, we are encouraged and challenged to remain faithful even during these times. This morning, you're going to have an opportunity to find a shepherd to come up front if you need to respond to anything. I want to encourage you to do that, to take advantage of this opportunity and respond while we stand and sing.